You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into the Locked On SEC Podcast. Great to have you along. Chris Gordy here with you. On today's show, we are going to go around the conference with some of the biggest stories of the day, including Texas A&M losing their most productive wide receiver, who says just before the start of the season he is opting out. Everybody got their reasons for why they're doing it, but that's a big hit for Texas A&M. We will also begin our week-long SEC East preview, counting down to the start of the season. Today we will head out to Athens, talk all things Georgia Bulldogs with Seth Emerson of the Athletic. And lastly today, the latest over-under win totals from Vegas on all the teams in the SEC who is primed for a big year and who may not win a game. We will run through those a little bit later. But first, I am Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked On SEC for free. Wherever you get your podcast, you'll get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each day right in your little podcast uh, listing. I've got like all these different podcasts I listen to, and it's so nice. They just automatically download to your phone. Boom, it's there, and I can uh, play it every day. So I hope that you guys add us to your list of podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnSEC. We're starting to ramp that up a little bit more active with some latest news around the SEC and some of the uh, samples and clips from some of our great interviews that we get throughout the week. So let's jump right into it. As we bring you the latest on the SEC, some news that came out over the weekend. Texas A&M wide receiver Jamon Osmond has announced his decision to opt out of this season and prepare for the NFL draft. He was the leader in receiving last year for the team. He announced his decision on Sunday on Twitter. He reportedly been absent from many of their preseason practices in recent weeks. And Jimbo Fisher said on Thursday he thought he would re- end up remaining on the roster but Osmond tweeted out, this was not an easy decision at all. Sounds, uh, said, it sounds cliche, but when I decided to come back for my fourth year, I would have never imagined not playing this season with the guys that I love and call brothers. These are bonds that I will hold for a lifetime, and I mean that wholeheartedly. Osmond added he is on track to complete his degree in the fall. He led Texas A&M with 66 catches last year for 872 yards, finishing second on the team with five touchdowns and was also a team captain. This is a monster loss for the Texas A&M Aggies. For a team that was hoping to, one, you're bringing back one of the most seasoned quarterbacks as far as the SEC goes, particularly in the West. You know, we talk about uh, Kyle Trask and Bo Nix in the East. Kellen Mond in the West was going to be one of the most seasoned returning veterans. And, you know, just shy of 3,000 passing yards last season. Texas A&M, if they wanted to compete with the Alabamas and the LSUs and the Auburns, this was their year. This was their year where they get Clemson off the schedule after the last couple of years. You're going into another year of Jimbo being there, and this is supposed to be a year you're competing for the West, and you lose one of your best weapons. This is a big loss for the Texas A&M Aggies. So, uh, look, it's it's the latest hit for them. Wide receiver Cameron Buckley, uh, tight ends Baylor Cup and Blake Smith all suffered season-ending injuries in camp. So... Who do they turn to? Well, they've been recruiting well, but man, they are going to have to lean on some of these young and experienced guys to step up, and really it's on Kellen Mond to be a leader. Now, they had a fantastic breakout player last year in Isaiah Spiller, and their running back nearly ran for 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, 
So maybe they will be – I don't want to say they were they were pretty balanced last year. Could they go more run-heavy this year, a- A&M? It just seems odd for um, you know a team with a veteran quarterback like this that he has such limited, experienced weapons around him now. But uh, that is for a problem for the Texas A&M Aggies to figure out and figure out quick as they start next uh, week with Vanderbilt in College Station kicking off their season. And remember, they also lost Elijah Blades and Derek Tucker, two of their defensive backs who opted out for the season. And they ranked in some of the preseason polls as high as number 10. So we will uh, see how much losing Jamon Osmond hurts the Aggies, but I got a feeling it's going to hurt them a lot when it comes to their passing game. A couple other tidbits from around the conference. I don't know if you saw this on Saturday, but Florida Gators' Ben Hill Griffin Stadium caught fire. There were people tweeting out videos from outside of the stadium with huge clouds of smoke coming out out of the stadium. The Gators tweeted out, the fire at Ben Hill Griffin was from a maintenance tractor. The fire is now out, and there is no structural damage to the facility. But what this caused was a lot of people having fun with it on social media, saying, oh, look, the Gators are already a dumpster fire. Ben Hill Griffin is a dumpster fire and all this kind of stuff. But they put it out. Luckily, no damage to Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, and the Gators are set to uh, take on Ole Miss next week in Oxford. So we will uh, uh, luckily not have a home game there for a couple weeks so they can clear out whatever damage was done there at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Over in South Carolina, Mike Bobo talking about his running back spot said, quote, it is still a battle, but one player has stood out. Now, they're already without Marshawn Lloyd for the year, and Juco transfer Jaquandre White is dealing with injuries. Mike Bobo said, quote, I would say based off of 15 or 16 practices we've had so far, I would say Kevin Harris has probably been the most consistent running back. So Kevin Harris, the name to watch in the backfield for the South Carolina Gamecocks. Over in Kentucky, we are 12 days away from kickoff of Kentucky and Auburn, and there is still no official word on the eligibility of quarterback Joey Gatewood transferring in from Auburn, but there are a lot of rumors. Travis Graff from Rivals is reporting that Joey Gatewood, who transferred in December, has likely been cleared for immediate eligibility by the the NCAA, but the matter is now up to Greg Sankey. On this morning's radio show, Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio said he has also heard the same. He said, I can confirm that. That's what I was hinting at last week. That has been true for a while, that the NCAA has cleared him, but they're waiting on the SEC. Now, here's where it gets juicy. Graf is also reporting that Kentucky has a gentleman's agreement, quote, with Auburn, that Gatewood will not play on September 26th as a way to show thanks for Auburn's cooperation with the waiver request. Uh, KSR did not confirm the report, but... An interesting concept to say, you can have our quarterback, you just can't play him week one against us. Now, all that being said, I think that Kentucky is pretty set at the quarterback spot. Like They don't need Joey Gatewood this year to, to be successful because, let's face it, they're getting Terry Wilson back, who was pretty productive last year, You know, was productive a, a year ago and then gets hurt last year, uh, but was looking pretty good before he got hurt, so... I think Kentucky's going to be just fine with Terry Wilson. I think this was going to be a sit-and-learn year anyway for for Joey, Joey Gatewood, and I say sit-and-learn, meaning learn the Kentucky system and their offense and all that kind of stuff. But, man, it, it, I, I just wonder what is taking so long with some of these transfers. Like, you literally talk about the guy moved, uh, changed schools in December, 
and he's still waiting for his waiver to be cleared. It, it's insanity that these things are taking so long. But what do you expect anything different from the NCAA? Over in Tuscaloosa, Alabama's director of sports science, Matt, Matt Rea, tweeted out that center Landon Dickerson, along with their left guard, Emil, I believe it's uh, Ekior, and their right guard, Deontay Brown. I don't do well with some of these pronunciations, so bear with me. But they, uh, all three of those guys, their left guard, right guard, and center, all combined to squat 1,885 pounds today. Dickerson himself squatted 765. Good Lord. And he said their uh, strength coach uh, or their strength continues to climb and they are going to be some trench monsters this year. Again, that's according to Matt Rea, their uh, director of sports science at Alabama. Alabama does return to the practice field on Tuesday this week for the first of three practices before they enter game week next Monday. So something to watch for with the with the tide as they get ready for the season. But, man, they are going to be loaded up front once again with, with that offensive line. And they get a nice little tune-up taken on Missouri in Columbia to start the season. But when you talk about Alex Leatherwood, the, the left tackle, who would have been a high draft pick this year had he come out, decided to go back, you got Evan Neal at the right tackle spot. That is going to be quite possibly the – the best offensive line in the SEC, if not all of college football. I know Kentucky's is loaded this year. We're going to have some really, really good offensive lines in the SEC this year, I got to think. Uh, one more tidbit from the SEC. I did see that they announced, you know, look, we talk primarily SEC football here. We'll talk some basketball and baseball when we get into the spring. But the first official Southeastern Conference athletic competitions of this academic year are slated to begin this week, including cross-country meets on four SEC campuses campuses so all 14 sec schools are scheduled to compete in cross-country meets and soccer games starting this week and it officially marks the sec's return to athletic competition for the first time since things were halted on march 11th so do the math that's march to april to may to june to july to august to september six months we have gone without an sec game or competition and the uh, first cross-country meet of the season will be slated for this Thursday in Athens, where Georgia and South Carolina among, are among the schools that will compete in the Bulldog Invitational. Look, I'm going to spend a whole lot of time talking cross-country on this podcast. I just wanted to pass it along because it is the start of the return of SEC athletics. And as we know, football will be back before we know it, less than two weeks away. All right, coming up next, all eyes are on the Georgia quarterback spot. Who will start their opener next week at Arkansas. We'll catch up with the athletic Seth Emerson, who covers the Bulldogs. He's got a new book out on Kirby Smart called Attack the Day. A quick minute here for our friends at Built Bar. They are the best tasting protein bar ever. I know a lot of those protein bars out there you get at health stores. They look good, and once you open them, they have that gross, chalky taste, and you end up taking a couple bites and throwing them away. That is not the case with Built Bar. They have got 18 amazing flavors, including six new ones. My favorite, the cookies and cream. It is so good, you don't even realize what you're eating is actually good for you. You can grab one after a workout. Or look, if you're just looking to lose or maintain your weight, try to get away from some of those fast foods. This could be a great option for you if you're looking to go down that path. Built Bars are low in calories, low in sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And just head to BuiltBar.com. You want to use the promo code LOCKEDON. You will get $10 off your next order, but you have to use the promo code Locked On. You get $10 off, and you'll be on your way to eating better, feeling better as you get ready for this SEC football season at BuiltBar.com. 
Rolling on here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Chris Gordy here with you, and we're going around the SEC East this week. We'll go around the SEC West next week, but starting things off today, we talk all things Georgia Bulldogs with Seth Emerson, covers Georgia for The Athletic. He is author of the new book, Attack the Day, on Kirby Smart and Georgia's Return to Glory. Seth, tell us a little bit about the book, man. Well, I've been one of the people who's pointed out from the beginning that Kirby Smart is doing almost exactly what Mark Rick did his first four years at Georgia. If there had been a playoff when Mark Rick was here, he would have made it his second year. That was the one difference is that Kirby had a playoff. They got in as the three seed, which Mark Rick would have been, and they went to the national championship game and nearly won it. But there's just – Having been around during those years and being around now, there's just a, a different feeling. Like Mark Rick took the program to a level that people were just surprised and gratified that they got that good that quickly, whereas he was then fired at the end of 15 years because they had plateaued and they hadn't been able to get back to that level. So Kirby Smart gets them to that level and gets them to that, that status where they're – Yeah, I mean, look – in college football nowadays, you start every season saying X amount of programs are the elite programs that have a chance at the national championship. And Georgia's one of them. Now, year in and year out, not just because of what they've done, but because of the way they're recruiting. And, and that's the big difference is Kirby Smart has them at that consistent elite level, mainly because of the talent base. Well, here we are, Seth, a week and a half away from the start of the SEC football season. I don't know if we ever thought we, we would get to this point, but uh, let's talk about the hottest topic. I know you've probably only been asked it a, a half a dozen times in the last day or so, but what is the latest on the Georgia quarterback situation? Well, it, it's going in a direction that not a lot of people would have predicted. Um, no one predicted that Jamie Newman would opt out, even Jamie Newman probably, until the last 48 hours or so of when he did it. Um, and so when that happened, a lot of people just assumed that, well, that's why Georgia got JT Daniels. And so it'll, it'll be him, the transfer from USC. Well, I don't know if it's going to be him anymore. Um, redshirt freshman Dwan Mathis has looked good. Uh, I think they like the running plays, the running capability that he has because of the running plays they put in for Jamie Newman. So I think that's helping Dwan Mathis. And JT Daniels isn't cleared yet. He might get cleared, but he might not. And when you're, like, that close to getting cleared to play, and I mean, like, remember, he was coming off that torn ACL at USC about this time last year. So if you're that much on the bubble to get cleared this close to the game, that probably gives the coaches a little bit of pause, too. Um, but Dwan Mathis has showed some things, and, and he gives them some upside. Uh, six foot six, long and athletic, big, smooth motion, and he – went through something last year where he had this brain cyst and he fought through it and he stayed with the team that I think has engendered a lot of respect and support among his teammates too and that can't hurt. It feels like we get hung up so often Seth on these transfers and this guy's going here and this guy's going there and we forget oh what about the four star that's sitting on you know they recruited hard that's sitting on the roster already I think it's fantastic uh, of a situation and like you said everything I've been reading about Dewan Mathis and you know we heard Kirby talk about it in recent days how impressed he has been with him I mean uh, how shocked would you be if JT Daniels doesn't play much at all this year and and it is Dewan uh, Dewan's job for the whole season well if you told me that Dewan 
Mathis would start every game this season, I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Let's get to the first game. I want to see. <laughs> um, but I, it, it, because I, this time last week, I wouldn't have sat here and said, Dwan Mathis is going to be the starter. And now I'm saying that I would pick him to be the guy right now, but this time next Monday, next week on Monday, maybe we've heard some different things. Um, so a lot can change in this situation, much like everything has seemed to be fluid in college football in general as to whether there will be a season at all. Um, and Georgia quarterback is, is just one of those. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating story. Everyone expected it to be Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman opts out. You expect it to be JT Daniels. And, like, what? Nope, nope. Georgia <laughs> football may throw you one more curveball. <laughs> what, what is the latest on JT Daniels, and, and what are they waiting for? I mean, is it just simply getting medically cleared and, okay, he's ready to play a football game now? What, what, what are they waiting on? Well, I mean, a year out from ACL surgery, um, there's a, he's been playing in practices, he's been playing in scrimmages, but there's a difference between that and a real game because in a real game you can be hit. And so they don't want to risk him being hit and going down and re-injuring himself. They had a receiver, uh, Dominic Blaylock, tear his ACL again earlier in the preseason. Um, that was non-contact, but that still gives you a little bit of pause. So they want to make sure that he can absorb the hit and – and not crumple, not have a re-injury or anything. So uh, that's that's the main thing. Is it, I, I've heard that at the scrimmage on Saturday, because obviously we weren't allowed in it as media, but I've heard from some other people that he, he's still wearing, if not a brace, you know, at least something on there that was protecting it. So not like clearly not 100% there. But Todd Munkin did say when he spoke to the media last month that he thought JT Daniels was more athletic than he had thought. So he's been at least mobile enough to, to show some wheels at some point. That was going to be my next question is the, the offensive coordinator and Todd Munkin. I think we were all we were all kind of surprised a little bit at, at how Jake Fromm, I guess, maybe didn't set the world on fire last year. It's not that he had a bad year, just we from what the level of play we were used to with Fromm, I don't know if it – uh, you know, impressed a whole lot of people. But that said, you know, the SEC championship game, they scored 10 points on LSU, less than 300 yards of offense. It seemed like something needed to change there. How different is this offense going to look with Todd Munkin now? That's a that's a big question. I, I think that even if James Coley had stayed, they were planning on opening up the offense. They were going to throw the ball downfield a little bit more, uh, more vertical game. Um just really try to spread the field so you could really, you know, everyone talks about getting the ball to playmakers in space, but Georgia wasn't able to do it very well last year. And so there was going to be a real effort to open that up. And, and they, they kind of did that in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor, and they won that game. And people forget that James Coley was calling plays in that game. And so the feeling there was great. But in getting Todd Munkin, I think it was more a matter of, well, if we can get him, we can't afford to not get him. So he's going to come in. He's going to bring his concepts with him. And it's not going to be the full-on air raid. It's not going to be the Mississippi State offense. But it'll be a little bit less conservative, maybe a lot less conservative than Georgia has seen the last few years. It'll, it'll be more opened up. It'll be like halfway between what Georgia has been and the full-on air raid. Speaking of new coaches, how much is Scott Cochran going to help out? One, on the special team side of things, but two, got to think he's going to help out a little bit in the weight room. Well, I actually asked him, like, how much do you what, – what's that dynamic like when you've been hired to do something else, but you have this great 
reputation as a as a strength coach. And he he said that you know he, he's there if if they need me. I, if, if they need advice, they can ask me. But I'm concentrating on on special teams, which is is his charge. And and honestly, it, it's easy easy to believe that because Scott Sinclair, George's strength and conditioning coordinator, came with Kirby four years ago. And like I wrote in the book. From what players told me, he was the secret sauce. In much the same way Scott Cochran was the secret sauce for Nick Saban at Alabama, Scott Sinclair was the same thing for Kirby Smart. He just he gets universal kudos for the way he implemented the system, the way he handles things, the dynamics. It's you know you think of the strength coach as like this big brawny you know rah rah guy, and and that's what Sinclair is, but he's not like you know overbearing about it, and Cochran isn't really either. And I think that's kind of what drew. Kirby to him and so it's it's an interesting dynamic I think more people are more concerned about what Cochran's going to do with special teams than they are with you know any there was no real worry for everyone at Georgia in the strength and conditioning program in other words they're not going to mess with something that's going well if Georgia's going to have a good year outside of the quarterback who is one player that has to have a fantastic season for them you just kind of assume that the the running backs are going to do well so it's kind of a cop-out to say Zamir White and James Cook, the two top running backs. Um, George Pickens, you say, you know, I, I'm going to cop out, and can I say, like, the whole offensive line? <laughs> sure. Like, they're, they, look, three of Georgia, counting Andrew Thomas, who will start tonight for the Giants, three of Georgia's starters on the O-line last year were starting NFL games this weekend. This, all right? And then another one transferred to Tennessee and would be starting for Tennessee if he was cleared, Cade Mays. So they're having to replace everyone there, but they've still got good players. It's just it's, it's a younger unit. They've got to develop cohesion, which could figure into why Dwan Mathis is getting a real shot to be the starting quarterback. It's better to have a mobile guy back there if you think that you're going to have to extend some plays. Uh, last thing for you, Seth, what did you make of, of how the schedule shapes up? I kind of like how it's set up. I mean, you get the tune-up against Arkansas before you get into Auburn and Tennessee, but that is a tr- tough stretch with you know, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, then the bye week, and then Florida, but I guess this is the reality of playing an all-SEC schedule. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very kind of middle-loaded is the way to put it. I mean, Arkansas is Arkansas. Um, obviously, that's a total rebuilding program. Uh, Auburn's interesting because you just never know with Gus Malzahn um, and Bo Nix and how they could look. So that could be a challenge. Then week three, Tennessee, you know, they're getting better. But really, it, it seems like it's all a work up to game four against Alabama. And then, you know, it's just pow, pow, pow. Um, Alabama and Florida, those are the two big key games. But but Auburn's an important game, too, for Georgia. And, and that's that's a mystery. I mean, how much of a home field advantage do you get at home this year? Georgia will have 20 to 25,000 fans there um so yeah I mean, it's i think that's a big reason also again why you may go with edwan mathis in week one is to kind of get his feet wet and see if he is the guy if he's ready to go um in a game where your defense and your running game should be enough to win you the game yeah maybe uh maybe better to get alabama early on when the capacity is only at 20 to 25 percent whereas if you play them in right. november december maybe it's 50 60 70 percent so you never know Yep. <laughs> he yep. is, he is Seth Emerson covers the Georgia Bulldogs for The Athletic. Again, author of the new book, Attack the Day, on Kirby Smart and Georgia's Return to Glory. I got my copy. I literally can't wait to start reading it. Seth, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And uh, I'm a subscriber of the uh, the Athletic as well. And uh, Seth does a great job covering Georgia for them. And uh, great stuff from him. And uh, again, really looking forward to reading the uh, book Attack the Day on Kirby Smart. Seth Emerson of the Athletic. All right, SEC, Locked On SEC rolling on here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Coming up later this week on the show, you don't want to miss it, we're going to continue to preview the SEC East all week long. Going to be a lot of fun. We will get into talking, uh, we'll talk some Tennessee, we'll talk Kentucky, we'll talk uh, Florida, we'll, we'll hit on all your favorite teams throughout the SEC East, and the next week we will start previewing the SEC West and really get in, getting into previewing uh, all of we, the Week One games, which we are about you know a little over a week, a week and a half away from getting it going. This segment, I wanted to just spend a little bit of time talking on some of the Vegas over under win totals from Odd Shark. You know, we got some of these numbers out over the last handful of weeks when the SEC announced that they were trimming down the schedule. I know Danny Sheridan put some numbers out there, but these are the official numbers, the latest numbers from Odd Shark on total over under. Uh, win totals for the SEC. And so I just kind of wanted to run through, we may not hit on all of them, but I wanted to hit on most of them on what we think is going to happen as far as expectations for some of the teams this year. And we'll start with Alabama. The total over and under wins for Alabama is nine, which I think is a great number because you're only playing 10 games. So they're expecting basically Alabama could trip up once, lose one game. So they put the number at nine. I think there are a lot of people who feel like Alabama can go undefeated. I have a lot of question marks about what the stadium capacity will look like on November 14th when they go to Baton Rouge, but let's be honest. I mean, what at best, what are they going to be at by that point? 50%, maybe 60% tops? It's not going to be a loud, rocking Tiger Stadium like it's been every single year with 100,000 people. So the pressure may be a little bit off there for Alabama just in terms of you know new quarterback, hostile environment. Not as hostile of an environment. Uh, outside of that, where's Bama likely to slip up? I mean, I know they get Georgia in week four, but that game is in Tuscaloosa. We have quarterback questions at Georgia right now. So how quickly can they have somebody else settle in? Outside of that, man, I mean, you got the Iron Bowl later in the year. You got Kentucky. You got Tennessee. A&M maybe could have had a chance to hang with them before Jamon Osmond opted out. I just... I think that number is a great number, but if I had to bet on Alabama, I would lean towards them going undefeated. I just think they're totally loaded this year, and 10 wins is possible. Georgia they have up next at 8.5 wins. I think that's a great number, but, man, with the with the quarterback questions, you know, if they went 8-2, and two, I think that's great, but that's the under. So I'm going to go under on 8.5 wins for Georgia. LSU is at 8, a really good number just in terms of you got to account for the two additions that LSU added in the East are Vanderbilt and Missouri. Those are both wins. I know that people are up in arms because they lost Jamar Chase. Uh, he opted out. They lost a couple guys on the defensive line. But I think LSU's schedule still sets up very well. They're going to beat Mississippi State. They're going to beat Vandy. Basically, LSU's got a couple of swing games. Here they are. At Florida Week 4, at Auburn Week 6, home for Alabama, they do have to play at college at Texas A&M the second to last week, but since the time in the conference, they have beat the crap out of Texas A&M just about every single time with their only loss coming in seven overtimes two years ago. I would say the Tigers, two losses, 
I'd put them right at that number. I think LSU can go eight. Will go eight and two. So that would be a push for me at the eight win mark for Florida. Seven and a half is the number. Maybe I just really like Kyle Trask. Maybe I just really like their weapons at wide receiver and Dan Mullen. I'm going over the seven and a half win total. I think I think Florida wins at least eight games with their only pitfalls, potential pitfalls being, of course, Georgia and Jacksonville. That game will most likely decide who wins the East. But outside of that, man, Kentucky has given them a dogfight these last couple of years. That game is late in the season in Gainesville, and they get, of course, LSU in Gainesville. At Texas A&M, same thing with Alabama, loses a little bit of the luster with losing Jamon Osmond. But I still feel pretty good about Florida over the 7.5, so we'll go over that. Texas A&M, the number is at 7. I think it's very likely they go 7-3. and three. If not, if I had to pick one one way or the other, I think Texas A&M goes, can go 6-4 and four this year, and I would take the under 7 wins. It's a tough schedule, man. When you look at what Texas A&M's got week two, they play Alabama and Tuscaloosa. The next week they come home to play Florida. And then the back stretch of the season, they go to Tennessee the fourth to last week, play them in Knoxville. Then they come home to play Ole Miss, home to play LSU, and then finish on the road at Auburn. Give me Texas A&M under the seven wins. Next up is Auburn. Their win total is seven. Man, I I really want to be bullish on Auburn and think that they can win eight games this year. When you look at what they get, it's a potential pitfall week one against Kentucky. I know a lot of Vegas odds maker, uh, you know, Vegas betters are saying, oh, Kentucky's got a shot at the upset. I'll just put it this way. If Auburn loses week one against Kentucky, they're going under seven wins this year. It's it's a tough schedule, man. You have to bounce back the next week, go to Athens at Georgia. Can you imagine if Auburn loses week one against Kentucky and then has to go on the road and play at Georgia, loses that one, and you're 0-2? Now you do get Arkansas, South Carolina, and Ole Miss the next three, and you play host LSU. And then the backstretch of the season. You'll beat Mississippi State. Playing Tennessee won't be easy. But then you got to go to Alabama, uh, to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama before coming home against AM. I- I'm going to remain bullish on Auburn. I'm going to say over the seven wins. But man, if they lose to Kentucky week one, that number is definitely going to go uh, under. I think Auburn's season could definitely go sideways after that. After those, I mean, you go from seven wins with Texas AM and Auburn on the over unders. Down to four and a half for Kentucky. You've got four and a half wins for Kentucky, four wins for Tennessee. I know Tennessee's schedule is brutal, but four wins. Let me do Kentucky first. You got Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Georgia, Mizzou, Vandy, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina. I can find five wins there. I like the job Mark Stoops has done. I'm going over the four and a half wins for Kentucky this year. For Tennessee, how do you not go over four? Look, if Garantano is going to – if he's going to leave any kind of lasting legacy at Tennessee, they can't go four and six this year. They just cannot. Find me five wins, Tennessee. I think they go over. Give me a win against South Carolina. Give me a win against Mizzou. Give me a win against Arkansas. Give me a win against Vandy. That's four right there. And then you just have to beat any of Florida, Auburn, A&M, Alabama, Georgia. Tennessee's getting the the over four. Tennessee's getting five wins. After that, you got Ole Miss and South Carolina at three and a half wins, Mizzou at three, Mississippi State at two and a half, Arkansas at two, and Vandy at one and a half. Man, they really have no, <laughs> like the bottom dwellers in the SEC, they really think are going to be bottom dwellers this year. And I get it. Like a lot of these teams, if we had the four non conference games, you'd be talking about most of them playing the four cupcakes that get them to four, you know, four wins easily. 
And then you're just talking about winning, you know, two or three conference games to become bowl eligible. Of course, that's all out the window this year, and it's all conference-only games. But I want to remain more optimistic on some of these teams. Like, if I had to bet a number, I'd say maybe Ole Miss finds a way to win four. If I had to bet a number, I'd say maybe Will Muschamp finds a way to win four at South Carolina. Mike Leach and Mississippi State, man, if they get that offense going a little bit with K.J. Costello, if they can find a way to get it going, Bulldogs could win three. Now, Arkansas and Vandy, those are the two that I might actually bet under. I just feel like Felipe Franks at Arkansas, I didn't like him before when he was at Florida. I'm definitely not liking him with zero talent around him at Arkansas. So give me Arkansas under the two and give me Vandy under the one and a half. Even though I think Derek Mason's got, he's got a lot of experience coming back on defense. It's just, they weren't good last year. I always laugh when they talk about a team and they say, look at everything they bring back. Yeah, and they weren't good last year. So, <laughs> great, you've got experience. You're still going to lose. So there you have it. Just some of the over-unders from Vegas. Thought we would run through some of those, and hopefully that helps if you're uh, looking to make some bets on some of these teams getting ready for the the SEC season. That is just about going to do it for us today here on the Locked On SEC podcast. Reminder, you connect, can connect with me, Chris Gordy. I'm on Twitter, at Chris Gordy, or the podcast Locked On SEC on Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast right now on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get the latest episode of Locked On SEC as soon as it is available each day. Reminder coming up tomorrow and throughout this week, we'll continue to preview the SEC East. Start to double it up a little bit. Today we just did Georgia, but the next couple days we'll be doing two apiece because we got to get through all seven teams this week. And also a reminder, check out the Locked On Vols podcast with our buddy Josh Ward. He'll join us a little bit later in the week to talk all things Tennessee Volunteers. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.